life hacks, leadership tips, stories, and fun. It's time for Two Guys on Stuff with Michael Edwards and Tom Tobin. They're executives, entrepreneurs, and great friends. And this is a conversation about values-based, purpose-driven leadership that can transform you, your organization, and the world. Now, let's hear what stuff the guys are talking about this week. Welcome back to Two Guys on Stuff. I'm your host, Michael Edwards, and this is my co-host, Tom Tobin. Hey, hey. Howdy. This week, we are honored to have Christian De La Huerta on the show. Christian, he's the author of Awakening the Soul of Power. He's a TEDx speaker. And by the way, I looked, you've got over 200,000 views on your TEDx and a transformational coach. So welcome, Christian. Hey, uh, thanks, Michael. Thanks, Tom. I'm really happy to be on the show. I'll tell you, two guys on stuff, we're dedicated to helping leaders get better. That's what we're all about. And, and we do that through sharing best practices, through sharing stories, introducing people to you know authors like yourselves, coaches like yourselves. And one of the areas is that uh, in, in our travels, we've really found that leaders either neglect or overlook is self-care. And when I came across your profile, I instantly thought, what a great conversation, because uh, as we know, humanship, if that's not a word, I've just coined the word humanship and leadership, they're an outside, inside out process. And I yeah. really love the connection that you make with breath and, and all of the things like that. So very excited to have you. You're happy to be here. And, and you're so right. You know, it's Self-care gets such a bad rap. We think we've been conditioned to think that it's selfish when it's the other way around, right? If, if, if like first thing they tell us when we get on a plane is put on your mask before even that of a kid, even that of a child you're traveling with. So it's, it's, we got to take care of self so that we can take care of others. And if we, if we're not taking care of, of ourselves and we're just giving, 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 giving service turns into servitude and we start resenting it. So going forward for, for all of us, you know, leaders and leaders in training and service oriented people. So self-care is a mandatory. It's part of the job description. And what's interesting is, you know, in this COVID era, leaders have been I don't want to say taxed more, but maybe taxed a bit more because they've got to really over index more so than they normally do with the people side of it, the compassionate side of it. Mm -hmm. And I found in, in speaking with leaders and the, and the leaders that I coach that they are just not taking care of yourself. And if you can't take care of yourself, you can't care, take care of your followers. Right. Correct. Right. Correct. Well, that's one of the things about leaders in general is that they are, oftentimes their idea of self-care is somewhere between, you know, a really great haircut and maybe a good exercise program or eating and nutrition. And we don't we just that's the outside. Of course, it's our health as well. But, you know, one of the things I liked about um, awakening the soul of power is the inside look you know, that we have to look inside ourselves. And it, I like how you evaluate that in terms of ego and just understanding who we are first and honing that as a tool, uh, not necessarily a weapon, but a tool. And that tool, it might need to be a weapon at some point. But mm -hmm. oftentimes, instead of going straight to that, we if we just understand ourselves, then we can apply that. And, you know, self-care often is something that leaders look at. Everyone else needs to to get on the same ship with me and they need to take care of themselves. But meanwhile, um, I especially appreciated what I felt was a little bit of, of your heart at the end when you're talking about the way that we need to, you know, to take care of ourselves so that we could take care of those around us 
Um, so we can lower our blood pressure, stop taking so many medications, stop having the heart attacks and the depression and the suicide. So I just, I'm looking forward to, to just diving into awakening the soul of power. So one of the things that we like to do though, is as one of our icebreakers is we like to use a time machine Christian. So we're going to take you back to when you're 15 years old and what we ask our guests. And if you've listened to any of our casts, you'll, this isn't a surprise question. We didn't jump it out at you, but um, we asked our guests to go back to, you know, about their 15 to 20 year old self and provide some guidance at that point that you feel would have been helpful to you today that would have helped you been, um, you know, more the man that you want to be, uh, more of a speaker that you want to be or wherever you feel like you want to go with that conversation to talk to that person. So you jump in the time machine. We all blast back. Michael and I are standing to the side and you're, you're standing to a, a 15 year old or a 20, maybe it could be a 20 year old. You pick the age, um, Christian, uh, what do you say? Oh my God, Tom, what a question. Um, like if you could, if you could have only seen me as a teenager, I was so painfully shy. Um, uh, so deeply introverted that I actually sabotaged my my grade point average so that I wouldn't have to give, give, stand up in front of a room of hundreds of people and give the valedictorian speech. So I had all A's in high school except for one B. And of course, I didn't set out to do this intentionally, but uh-huh. looking back on it, I know that I sabotaged it subconsciously because there's no way I could have done that then. And, wow. and so and also my my adolescence was one long depression like with suicidal thoughts here and there. Um, and, and like, that's the power of this work. You know, the, the, the power of the message of this book is that we can heal whatever we came from and whatever stuff we, we had to deal with uh, growing up, that that can all be healed and that all those fears, all those challenges can be overcome. Like these days, um, you know, I speak all over the world. I'm a TEDx speaker, as you said, um, I've spoken at, dozens of universities, um, delivered keynotes of a professional speaker. Um, and these days, no matter what happens in my life, no matter the details, the circumstances, you know, a relationship works out or it doesn't, a project succeeds or, or it fails in quotes. Um, never, ever, ever do I question my sense of self. Never do I question my self-worth. So, so that was healed and that was handled permanently um, and irreversibly. And I know that if I can do that, if I came out of that, that I know a lot of people can too. So what would the, what would you say? Cause what I'm, the reason I'm asking that for like some kind of specificity is because there's a 15 year old that may yeah. listen to this. There's a 20 year old or a 30 year old or, you know, whatever. There's a person I believe that's in that moment of their, t- of their life. And what's interesting is, is that dynamic be- for young people yeah. They're, they're extremes. I love where you talk about your seesaw and we'll talk about that later, but uh, the extreme seesaw. Um, yeah. But young people today, they're at such an extreme. First, our conversations are all extreme. Can't have just balance in our conversations. Just watch any kind of social media. But in particular, the way that we feel as young people. And as I was reading your book, it made me stop and think about that. And you're just you're confirming as you're saying that. But young people, they either have this infinite view like, oh, my gosh, the uh, the world's mine. And or there's this finite view that they feel like this is it. I can't get over this. So what would you say to that person? Um, and I won't even confine it to to um, a uh, an age group. But what would you say to that person today that's sitting there feeling like they're 
facing this finite, this is it type of a moment. It's the wall and I have to get over it or die underneath it. What would you say? Yeah. You know what? If I could, if I could speak to my 15 year old self, I would just like look in his eyes and give him a long uh, hug and just say, you know what? Just take a breath, chill. It's going to get so much better. You have no idea how good it's going to get. And all these worries, all these self doubt, all that stuff is just going to fall by the wet, by the wayside. And you're not going to believe what's going to happen with your life. And, and, and there is a way that you can, that you can, you know, heal all the stuff that you feel so, so pulled down and so hurt by. Um, and, and that there is a way that we can step into our power in a way that is a match for who we are in a which that is congruent with who we are. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Oh, That's a great message yeah. of hope, right? Yeah. And, and hope will truly change the world. Yeah. Hey, Christian, I, I want to go back before we jump into your book, uh, to your TEDx talk. I love that TEDx talk. And I really love the connection that you made between how much we breathe in and how much life we take in. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and uh, elaborate for our audience? Yeah. Um, I mean, the breath is it's all about the breath, right? The, it's, it's the breath is our most loyal, our most faithful companion on this journey of embodiment. Um Right. So our first and our last breath, right? So breath mm-hmm. is life. And, and there's so many references, references in the holy texts, you know, like God giving them life through the breath. Right. Um, so the breath is what animates us. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and then like Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a Buddhist, uh, Vietnamese Buddhist teacher, talks about how, how the breath is what connects heaven and earth. Right? So like through, the, through the breath, our bodies are, are animated. Um, and like, I mean, there's so much that we can say about the breath. The breath is, is a technique. It's a healing tool that heals so profoundly at so many ways. I was, I was on a track to get a PhD in psychology. My dad was a psychiatrist. So I come out of the psychotherapy tradition. When I discovered this particular breathing modality, it's a, it's called breath work. Um, I jumped tracks. I never went for the PhD because it works so fast and heals so profoundly at so many levels including physically. And I know that sounds too good to be true. You know, just, you're going to tell me that just by breathing, you can heal past trauma. And, and I'm going to say, you know what? I know to my logical mind, my scientific mind, my skeptical mind, it still sounds too good to be true 30 years into it. And I can't argue with the results. Like it works. And I'm talking about, you know, people that have helped like really overcome and heal serious stuff like sexual abuse and rape and people who, who survived violent crimes and all that stuff gets healed. And then all the defenses that we build against, you know, against life because of those traumas that happened to us when we were young, mm-hmm. all that, all those defenses we can take down so that we can also heal into this or step into this collaborative relationship with life rather than this antagonistic victim relationship to life, what life did to me um, kind of thing. And so it, it, it changes everything. There's, I mean, there's, we could spend two hours talking about the breath. There's, there's breathing techniques that you can use like for relaxation, for stress management, Um, like you can use right before sleep to, to help you sleep better. There's other breathing techniques that are more energizing that have a faster clip or so like right before um, an important meeting, if uh, right, or right before, you know, a podcast interview, if you want to like increase your focus and, and heighten your energy level, that's, there's different techniques for that. So, and, 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 you know, I'll just close this conversation about the breath by saying that 
the way that like the science isn't there yet in terms of understanding how, how the breath can be so profoundly healing. Um, and I can tell you amazing stories about even physical healings that'll just blow your mind um, because there is no rational explanation for it yet. So the only way that I can understand that, that that makes sense to me is like, in, if you look at most religions and spiritual traditions and even some secular languages, the same word, like one word can mean spirit or breath, depending on the context, depending on what we're talking about. So right. I think that ultimately that's what I fall back on. That's how, how I understand the power of the breath. Fantastic. And you know, the power of the Apple watch to remind me to breathe is pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, as you're talking about that, Christian, I think about, you know, I was an occupational therapist for 35 years. So that's what I spent my, my first career doing is about healing and you know, whether you are stretching or you're exercising or you're trying to relax muscles, whether they are a spasm as a result of a head injury or um, a stroke or because of trauma, fracture, et cetera. You know, breathing was always an essential portion of that so that you could do a combination of two things. One was the physiological um, and the way that breathing impacts it. And then second was the psychological kind of the work that you do while you're maximizing the focus. And so uh, almost almost like where you're sharpening that knife to a, a sharp edge so that you could, you know, finish the work of cutting that nice steak, you know, but <laughs> uh, that, uh, it, it's lunchtime. So I'm probably just <laughs> overthinking that analogy. I apologize. Christian, your book, Awakening the Soul of Power is a good blueprint for personal growth. What was your inspiration for writing that book? Hmm. I think there were two. Um, one was more personal. Um, my older sister, I'm part of a large family, nine kids in, tw in 12 years, wow. parents, no kid, no twins. Um, and my sister, who's like two years older than I am, was a natural born leader. Like, you know, when we were kids, she would boss around not only the nine of us, but the entire neighborhood of like 15, you know, 18 kids. And in a very natural way, like she'd say, oh, let's go do that. And everybody would say, yeah, let's go do that. And when she had puberty, like something happened, you know, she just turned that off. I don't know if somebody said something to her specifically or whether somebody or, or she just picked it up from osmosis that women, you know, supposedly don't behave in those ways, in those leadership ways. Right. Because um, the same qualities that in a, that in a man would say, oh, my God, what a what a strong, determined, clear leader in a woman. What do we say? Well, she's a B, she did the B word. And so somehow she turned that off and I, I never really could understand what happened. Um, and so then flash forward a few, you know, a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I was meditating, sitting in meditation. And for the only the second time in my life, now it's happened three, but at this point it was only two. I actually heard audible words, like, you know, words that I could actually hear in meditation, which unusual. Um, and so the words were the soul of power. And I thought, oh, what an interesting concept. And, you know, got up, got the URL and forgot about it. Um, about a month later, I had I'd been working with a literary agent in New York um, who, who, you know, so I had submitted a book proposal um, for, on a different theme, on a different subject. And she said to me, yeah, I want to work with you, but I want to see some of those marketing ideas implemented before we pitch it to a publisher. And I don't know if you've ever seen a book proposal, but it's like a huge term paper. And the marketing plan is like, like a chunk, huge to maybe a third of it, like who's the audience and why are you the one to deliver the message and how, what's the plan to reach that audience, blah, blah, blah. 
so when she said that, but the marketing plan was like, you know, screeching the brakes on is like, because I was already spending the advance in my mind. And then I thought, all right, well, if I'm not going to write about this, what, what do I really want to write about? And it took me a few days of just being in that question. And it finally dawned on me. And it was one of those like, you know, palm to the forehead kind of moments. And I thought, you know, I've been saying for years that the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world is the empowerment, empowerment of women. And it's not to make put women up on a pedestal, is not to give women more additional crap that they have to clean up um, in this world of ours. It's because as a species and as a world, we've been running so off balance between the power dynamics, between the genders. And my, you know, my belief is that when women are in 50% of power in this world, we're going to have a very different relationship to war and poverty and hunger and how we treat the environment and social justice and wealth distribution and all of it. And, and so empowerment of women, the soul of power that was like, that was the realization. It's like, wow, how do we step into power in a different way? That is not hierarchical. That is not, you know, power over push down that I have to press, you know, push somebody down or step on them in order to prop myself up and, and feel powerful. How do we express power in a way that's not about fear, force, domination, um, manipulation. And so that's how I started thinking about all this. Man, that there are a lot of conversations that we can have just off of that, that would take days. Some <laughs> No. easier, some easier and some, and we're not, a, we're not opposed or afraid of more challenging ones too. So if you feel like we begin to challenge you on some of those things, then tell us that and, and we'll go, okay, then let's keep talking about it. But I think one of the things that people understand about, and hopefully they do, and if not by, by the end of today, they will, is that um, Michael and I want to have conversations that are real, that yeah. challenge today's way of thinking. Because yeah. as you're talking, one of the questions that I have um, is what part of your belief about the, the need for the whether it's the 50 50 or increasing women of power? How much of that do you think comes from just your own positive personal experience with strong women in your in your life? Because it's it's obvious from your book, from the beginning of the book, like you talk about your sister and you talk about your mom and that you have these women that are in are. They just have this natural power about them, this authoritative um, and naturally attractive power kind of role to them. So how much of it comes from what you experienced personally and how much comes from um, what you observe externally? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Another way you can ask me anything. I'm not okay. threatened by any questions. We can go. No, we're we don't think you are, so don't worry. <laughs> and flushes out, and I'm, and I'm not even attached to what I say or what I believe being the case. I'm just asking people to at least question the possibility, and yeah. and and you know, ask yourself why do I believe the things that I do. Um, and even that's a positive step, right? Just to get people to question. Exactly. Why they do what they do is a positive thing. Exactly, and and life changing. And I'll tell you, yeah. full full disclosure. Tom and I both live with uh, two extremely strong women. <laughs> both happen to be named Sherry. Yeah, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so we just name name all the women Sherry. Put them in fifty percent of the power. We're good. They already they already have <laughs> half the money if they live in Texas. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the bunny tail Christian. So good, let's go back. In all seriousness, we want to have a good time too. But um, per, what's what part of it do you think is personal from your own personal positive experience, and what part do you think is 
um, external, what you see as a need kind of worldwide? You know, I think I think is what I see worldwide. You know, it's it's the the oppression of women for the last several thousand years is just no longer sustainable. It's, it's no longer acceptable. Um, you know, the fact that that even in this country, right, women make seventy cents to the dollar. That's completely unfair. Um, and and the fact that there's some places in the in the world where women you know, have to walk behind their men, and let's not even get into genital mutilation in Africa. It's like, oh my god. Um, and other countries, it's like just not okay anymore. Um, and, and, you know, so, but, but even leaving that aside, this system of patriot patriarchal, you know, this, this toxic masculinity system, which impacts all of us, not just women. And, and, and it comes from this mistaken, this twisted interpretation of what it means to be a man. And, and so, so let's look at some numbers, right? Because this is impacting men too in this country. Men commit suicide four times as frequently as women. 70% of the the suicides in the U.S. are committed by middle-aged white men. What's up with that? Right. Because they are the ones who, who are the, the ones who who still hold most of the power um, in, in terms of the power structure of, of the world. Um, let's look at longevity. No, uh, women outlive men in this country by five years worldwide by seven years. So what, what's going on there? And, and I think that part of the reason for that is before, because of this impression that we picked up along the way that to be a man means that you, you don't feel. So you, you, you can't feel the emotions because the emotions are weakness and little boys don't cry. And, and it starts at that conditioning starts at such a young age. And there's a price to pay for that. Uh, because we walk around with like, you know, like robots on caring and, and the price to pay is not only in, in terms of our relationships and, 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 and the, the satisfaction level of, of, of being human and having connections that are really connected. Um, but you know, it's even, even on the health, like going back to the breath, you know, we, what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy. Now we know from physics that it's true from quantum physics, everything is energy. That means the body is energy. Even though we touch it, it feels solid. It's energy. It's vibration. Mm-hmm. Same with the emotions. Physics also tells us energy cannot be destroyed. So whenever we stuff those energy, those emotions, they don't just disappear. They just don't go away. They get stuck in the tissues of the body. And after years and decades of doing that, we walk around with layers upon layers upon layers of suppressed emotional crap. And then here we are trying to have a relationship in the present moment. And it's all getting filtered through that lifetime of suppressed emotions and unhealed past trauma. Like it, it blows my mind that any relationship can work. Because we haven't been taught how to hold them, how to approach them. And certainly we haven't been taught how to clear ourselves of that emotional cauldron. And and so those emotions have to come out one way or the other, right? So either we suppress, 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 and then the next unfortunate one comes and just happens to rub us the wrong way. Volcanic eruption, right? And then we overreact and we cause harm to our relationships, sometimes irreparably. Or suppress, 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 it kind of come out one way or the other. Those those suppressed emotions start seeping out through, you know, and showing up as physical symptoms, heart attacks, cancer, ulcers. So we've got to we've got to figure this out. We got to. And not only are the emotions not weakness, right? They're not strength. They're not weakness. They're not they're not good. They're not bad. They're just energy. But if you want to talk 
courage and mastery to, to learn how to feel and how to identify what our feelings are and to learn how to communicate those feelings responsibly, courageously, and gracefully, right? In, in a way that they can be heard, not just pointing the finger or blaming or, or you know, you're just getting rid of them, dumping them mm-hmm. like, like a two-year-old having a tantrum. Um, that's mastery level stuff. Right. What, it, what about, so um, this isn't necessarily a challenge. I, I, uh, I understand what you're saying, but in some ways, the, I think the media has done a really good job of, and I say the media, whatever extreme side you want to be on, um, and even the center, when it comes to things like toxic, the description of toxic masculinity, because as you, as you pointed out, you know, as a white male, I wasn't raised to be racist. I wasn't raised to be hateful. Um, I wasn't raised. I was raised the opposite that you, you treated a woman respectfully. And if you didn't, you know, after I, you know, after my dad got done beating me, then he was going to give me over to her dad and let him do whatever he needed to do to me to set me straight. And, and I use that kind of extreme. Maybe that's an example of toxic masculinity or just proper correction. You know, I've seen lion lions correct their cubs by biting them. So, you know, uh, I'm not one, I'm not opposed to getting a leather belt on my rear end. You know, well, I am, I'm not now because I don't have to worry about it, but back (laughs) then. So in this whole description of toxic masculinity and, um, you know, my experience wasn't that I wasn't raised to be racist. I mean, my parents divorced when I was young, when I was 13, but I had the I had the blessing of being able to have other men in my life that also contributed to the way kind of forming my mindset about women. So I've always respected, you know, I married a very independent, uh, powerful woman that she wouldn't describe herself as that. But. You know, she's the most and I'm going to say this very strongly. She's the most godly, loving, compassionate woman um, that I know, period, hands down. And then second to her is my daughter, you know, kind of a thing. So um, who I also think is a very strong woman and I respect them immensely and I would defend them, whether it's their honor or their health, um, very uh, voraciously or um and that's probably a, the, a bad word for it. That sounds like it's more le- that's more aligned with my appetite from earlier. But so I guess my question is this, Christian, because I love the I love the conversation. But how much uh, and you probably there's probably not a percentage, but how do we I, here's a better question. How do we separate out what is just the stereotypical, you know, they're just trying to be John Wayne who happens to be someone I really like, but you know, they're just trying to be John Wayne and macho, blah, 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 versus, you know what, there's, there is a role that we have as men as, as protector. And, and I like how you described it, the different paths that, that I felt provided some good balance, but let's say somebody's not going to go read 278 pages. What would be three things? Well, first of all, um, how do we, separate out the stereotypical description versus this is what this is kind of practical. And then give me three things that uh, from your different paths. And I'm only saying this because like I'd have, I'd have this conversation for the next three hours. Right. So um, what are three things from the different paths that you describe? What are your top three? We're in an elevator. We're going down. I say, Hey, Christian, I read your book, you know, Tell me, tell me about how you separate out stereotypical from 
um, practical and give me three things. Cause we're going to hit the first floor and I'm going to go, but I want you to impact me. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Speed round. So, you know, that's why I added a chapter on what it means to be a man in the 21st century. Um, so that we, because it's, it's up for us, you know, so I don't know that I have a black and white answer for you in terms of, of, you know, how to answer that. I think as a society, as, a, as humanity, we are exploring that. And, and as, as the, as the gender roles are, are, you know, are changing. Um, so, you know, and which is one of the reasons why there's so much frustration um, in, in among so many people in this country, because people whose, whose identity, for example, was to be the provider now, or, you know, that's having to shift either because of jobs that are going, um, uh, you know, across the seas or jobs that are being replaced by, by machines, by computers. Um, and at the same time that women are stepping into their power and, you know, more than 50% of college graduates now are women. So that's shifting in front of our eyes. Um, and so, Men, we men have to redefine what it means to be a man. And, and I think that's something that we get to do for ourselves. Um, you know, so one thing that I, that I, the first thing that I spoke about is really important is, is learning that we can have emotions, right? And that doesn't make us any less of a man. Right. And so another one is redefining what it means to be a provider. So, so what if, if your, if your wife makes more money, um, who cares? You know, that's, that's not what makes you a man, right? That's not the identity um, of a man unless, unless what to me, unless to me, that's what it's a limited way of defining what it means to be a man. So what if, and, and there are other ways that you can play that provider role. So, you know, provide a safe, psychological and emotional space in which your, 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 your family can thrive, can discover who they are. can live their life to their mm -hmm. fullest potential. You can provide stability. You can provide, yeah. you can become a rock, you know, in the family structure um, by sharing wisdom and strength that comes from self-knowledge and from the willingness to do the, the heroic work of, of self-healing and, and figuring out who we are and why we do the things we do. Right. And yeah. anybody can do that. And um, I think that, if, and uh, excuse me, just one second. I just want to point this one thing out. What I think is important that, you know, guys listening to this provider doesn't equal paycheck. Would you, right. I mean, would you agree with that? So, I mean, right. I, I love what you're saying because as a, you know, and I'm a, I'm a Christian male and oftentimes I'll hear it in church, you know, or in, in my, in, in, in church circles, you know, where the woman makes more than the man. And I've always said it, th that decision whether she works or not, whether he works or not, what they do, that's between them and God. And that is where they have to exist. That is where they have to be comfortable. So I appreciate what you're saying just in terms of redefining it so that evaluating who you are as a man is something that's taking place internally. And it doesn't mean that you're becoming feminine, right? It just, it just means that you're being more aware of who you are as a man. And then like provider, you're not redefining what a provider is. It's, it's possible that you're defining it for the first time in your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how, how you just wrapped up everything I said in like provider doesn't mean paycheck. I mean, that's like, you just said it in an epithy, um, you know, way that you can put on a, on a bumper sticker. I love that. 
<laughs> T-shirts are coming well, soon. Maybe I should jump to the URL. I right. love how he woke up in the he hears a voice and his first thought is get the URL first. <laughs> so go ahead. Two two more two more paths. What are they? Well, you know the the, the conqueror. You know that's another traditional mm-hmm. male role. Well, but we don't have to give that up. It's just about finding a different way to express it. Right. So you know, like there are not that many many parts of the world that that are, you know, have to be conquered. But con- how about conquering yourself, conquering our insecurities, conquering our inner demons, conquering self-doubt, conquering right. the fear that is that has held us back from being all that we can be uh, and from stepping to the roles of leadership that we're being called to do. How about mm-hmm. conquering the, the, you know, the obstacles to love that that have that have kept us from really, really um, experiencing that receiving right. and giving love. I mean, that's what about talk about life changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Explorers, you know, like there aren't again that many places in, in that that are yet to be explored unless you go really, really deep in the ocean or far out into space. But what about exploring the the universe that's inside each one of us that remains for the most part unexplored? Mm-hmm. And right. and that's why you know this book is the first of a series of three that's called Calling All Heroes. Like, mm-hmm. what does it mean to live a heroic life in the twenty first century? And that to me is heroic, right? To be to have the courage, the willingness to go inside, to to look at the the, the reasons that that the, you know our history. Why do we do the things we do? Mm-hmm. Look to look at our patterns. Like why do we attract certain kind of relationships or situations? Because if we want to be free, if we want to step into our power, we got to realize at some point that there's one common denominator to every one of our relationships and every one of those circumstances of our life, right? And that's us. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if we want to step into our power, if we want to step into like a real role of leadership, we got to go within. We got to we got to dive in so that we can really grow to self acceptance and then self love. And and mm-hmm. and that's where the power really lies. Power is yeah. within. It's inside of us. Nobody can give it to us. Nobody can take it away. We are the only ones who can give it away. And the lame part of that, the sad part of that, is that we give it away for for an illusion of security, mm-hmm. for a false sense of acceptance and for morsels, for crumbs of, of pseudo love. Mm-hmm. You know, full confession, you know, and I started reading your book. I, uh, uh, the first one, Awakening the Soul of Power. Um, one of the things I began to think of, this is just completely, I was completely, I wasn't biased because I hadn't read it before and I didn't know you other than what I had begun to research. But as I began to read it, I, I immediately started thinking Middle Eastern kind of philosophy. But what I came to realize was that it's really just about knowing who you are. And within my context, within my life, that's who I am in Christ. Right. And recognizing that, you know, it's not I, but Christ who lives in within me. That's the power within me. But I don't have to give that up. Correct. You know, in order to apply the principles that you're talking about, I don't have to disconnect myself from my faith. And I thought that was one of the things that I really appreciated about what you, in your writing um, and especially those different paths. I just imagined those paths within the context of my role as a Christian husband and father. And I thought, what's bad about stopping and evaluating who I am in my relationship with God and how that then connects me to my wife and my son and my daughter and the people in my community? So I just really appreciated that, you know, because sometimes you'll you'll read a, a book like you've written and put it in the context of like maybe, um, you know, personal growth and development. Would you agree? Um, yeah. Just you know, understanding yourself. And oftentimes you'll read and it'll 
it it doesn't just challenge. It just it's it almost is demeaning towards someone of faith as if we're all stupid, regardless of our faith that, you know, we have faith in anything else. But, you know, whatever this author. So I just I wanted to tell you, I appreciate the way that you wrote that in the context of being able to do it at, at wherever you are. Yeah, you know, know what I'm saying? So so thank you. That means so much that coming from you, uh, Tom. And and yeah, my I honor all traditions. Um, I can challenge them too. Um, you know, but but all of them <laughs> equally, right? And to me, to to the to the degree that they're helping us to to be authentically better human beings and to have a, a deep, authentic, personal connection with the sacred, mm-hmm. whether you call that God or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, then they're doing their job to, to the degree that they're making us better human beings, more compassionate, more loving. Um, and I would say more empowered, but in a spiritual power mm-hmm. sort of way. Yeah. Then they're doing their job to the degree that they're, you know, fomenting hate and separation and what I call the theological pissing contest. You know, my God's bigger than yours. Right. That's the part that, that I should challenge, because to me, the fact that we're killing each other in the name of God is an abomination. Right. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, yes. absolutely. And I, I, it was funny, actually, uh, as I was read because I was raised in a Catholic family. And so um, some of those some of the comments that you made made me laugh, like your mom's look, like the power of her look. You know, I was like <laughs> I was just saying to somebody the other day is like I, I learned. But in fact, it was this morning that I was I, uh, I learned the power of guilt at an early age. <laughs> but I wanted to point something out uh, as as you're talking through the book and the discussion. One of the interesting things, so so every week I host a mastermind or leadership roundtable, and one of the ones that I just started last week was, with the exception of me, 100% female leaders. Wow. And we started, it, it, it's really a fun, fun time. And we started talking about um, identity politics. And, you know, how do you navigate through this world of identity politics? And, and I had to preference it with, you know, if you'd have known me 10 years ago, I was that guy that... If you didn't agree with me, you were an idiot. And if you didn't believe the way I believed, you know, I wouldn't have anything to do with you. And and fast forward to today, people don't recognize me Mm -hmm. and talking about what happened in my life. And and, and I mentioned to this group, there's two things that really changed me from the inside out, changed my view on the world, changed, uh, you know, I don't pick sides anymore, those kinds of things. And I'll tell you, the first one was really understanding and living that we were all created in his image. That is the ultimate equalizer uh, in my mind. And then the second one is, you know, I'm, it's kind of funny because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a kumbaya hippie, but I am all about the power of love. And, and once I really understood, you know, Mark 12, 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater, there's no other commandment greater than these once I put those two things together, it really changed my entire life, my belief system and the way I behave and act. So it's really interesting kind of, you know, all of the things that you just talked about for like the last 20 minutes brought that one conversation to a head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love that, Michael, because, you know, that that word love, I guess it gets a bad rap, right? We think it's hallmarky kind of love or nanny candy, yeah. new age kind of love. And, you know, we're talking about the Christian tradition, you know, I was raised Catholic too. If you could wrap everything that Christ stood for, everything into mm-hmm. one word, what would that word be? Agape. Yeah, love. 
Right. Everybody yeah, yeah. says that. Everybody knows that. And and he was anything from Nambi Pammy. He was he was re- a revolutionary. He was a radical. And, you know, he, he came here to blow everything up and change everything in terms of the established orders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's the kind of love, you know, that, I, that, that we're talking about, I think, is, you know, the, the kind of love that is fierce love. Um, and again, we could spend another two hours just talking about what love. <laughs> yeah, right? this is this is not a one parter. This can't be because <laughs> I would feel so bad about for Christian that we gave him. Now he may go, man. I never want to talk to those guys again. But um, <laughs> I'm loving this like, conversation. It's exciting. But could you imagine if we all if we all were radical lovers? My God, well, it, it would change the world. world. Yeah. It, it that really, sounds funny because I'm going to tell Sherry, hey, I'm a radical lover. She's going to be like, yeah, you think you are. Um, <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah. no, but I mean, you know, if we just if we really focused on that, you know, um, and that love, like you said, it, it's it's not this feminine hallmark term. It's not something, you know, it, it's it's a father and a son or a father and a daughter, you know, in a in a wonderful relationship. Um, man, I, so I got I got one more question on the seesaw. So you talked about on one end of the seesaw was the victim on the other end of the seesaw was combative. And I love that in our, in my past life, in my company, we instilled a, a, what we call a positive conscious culture. And we talked about the, the victim hero villain triangle Mm -hmm. and that we all find ourselves in that triangle. And as I was reading that, I felt like it was there. Uh, Like there was similar. Yeah. Yeah. So real quickly, how do you help, Literally, how do how do you help somebody or how do you if you find yourself in that on that seesaw, how do you move to the center on it? If because oftentimes if you're the combative one, you don't you don't think you're the combative one. You're wondering why everybody else so weak and, you know, is uh, constantly going against what you want. If you're the victim, it's really it's really hard to see yourself in any role other than the victim. What do you what do you say? What do you do? Real quickly, right? Just like the most difficult question, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Most two sentences. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right. This is the cliffhanger. This is the cliffhanger. Give us, give us a nugget, a small nugget, and then that goes. Then anybody that's listening is going to go. I got to read the book. So there, yeah. that's that's the teaser for them. There you go. All right. So here, here's the way to think about this. If we're on a journey of personal empowerment, as long as we're holding anyone or anything outside of ourselves responsible for our state of being, we just gave our power away. Mm-hmm. So, and it doesn't matter whether it was a mom who did this or a dad who didn't do that, or the teacher, the minister, society, racism, hate, uh, uh, sexism, homophobia, it doesn't matter, right? Because it's, and, and it doesn't excuse any of it. It doesn't, it does not deny the existence of any of that. And it doesn't excuse what anybody did or didn't do. It's not making it right. It's about our relationship to what happened. Um, you know, there, as the thing about this is, is that we, we, most of us have a, a victim relationship to life. If, if it only wasn't for that, fill in the blank, mm-hmm. then I would be happy. Then I would be the leader. Then I would be stepping into the role that I'm here to do. Um, and you know, that is by definition disempowering because yeah. the, so, so to, you know, the, the thing is that no matter what happened in the past, no matter what happens going forward, because if there's one thing we know for sure is that life is going to continue throwing curveballs our way, just unexpected things that we, nobody saw coming. And so we can count on that. What, what 
And there's nothing we can do about that. But what we always have a choice about is that no matter what happened and no matter what happens going forward, we always have a choice as to how we show up in response to them. Awesome. You, Thank at you. At that level, you pop out of the victim relationship to life. Awesome. Yeah. I love what you said also about the power of forgiveness, but that'll have to be another episode <laughs> yeah. uh, because it is, it's so much it, forgiveness is so much more about us and how it impacts us than it is about the other person. So I really appreciated what you said about that. Well, you so just, you just, remember, we just we hit the three big ones, right? The, the three most difficult parts of, of this journey of empowerment um, going within, there's no way around it. Forgiveness. I don't see a way around that either for the same reason, because if you're, if you're holding somebody over the fire for what they did or didn't do, our hands also getting burnt and, and <laughs> yeah. a victim. You know, popping out a victim. I don't see if you want to be free and in, in your power. I don't see any way around those three. And if you do, let me know. <laughs> hey, Christian, this has been a great conversation and I am grateful and honored that uh, you've been with us. But before we go, what are you working on right now? You know, um, I'm working on the Spanish translation to the book. I'm working on book two of the series, which is on relationships, um, because I think that's the area where most of us tend to give away our power. And then um, I've created a year long coaching program. You know, I've been doing retreats, live retreats for 30 years. And I've, I've known for, for a long time that I needed to create virtual programming to reach people who may never be able to come to a retreat. COVID you know, forced my hand. Um, I went from flying 100,000 miles a year to zero. And so I had to pivot like many people and created this you know, I'm really loving it. It's, it's a year long coaching program. And here's what, what I'm loving about it. I'll go back to doing retreats when we can, but, and what I've also noticed that when people would come to my retreats and they would have this amazing life-changing expansive experience, if when, if they didn't have a support system or a context in their life or some kind of practices to, to maintain that expansion and apply the teachings little by little, you know, the day-to-day -day and the distractions of life would start pulling them down. And pretty soon those old voices of fear and self-doubt, self-sabotaging behaviors would start you know, rising again. And then they'd have to come to an, another retreat. What I'm loving about this concept, if I get to stretch out the teachings over the course of a year and deliver them piecemeal, like bite sizes, here are the two key differences. Um, particip participatory. So every, every week they get a little bit of content to read or to watch a video or something. And there are always power practices connected to that. So, and that's what apply, what supports people to apply the teachings to their lives. So it doesn't stay at the level of information and that we're at, because what we actually want is transformation. We want our lives to change in profound and positive ways. The other system, which, which I'm sure you, you do in your coaching, in your coaching programs is accountability. Right. It's it's really important to to again, because of the distraction and and the, the inertia of, of the ego mind. Um, it's important to have a supporting system that's also that's also going to be holding us accountable to, to do what we said we would do. So there's coaching calls with me every two weeks and, and other elements that I put into that. Um, and so. So, yeah, that's what I'm really excited about. Fantastic. So where can our audience find you? Uh, the book is available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. You know, if you you can just have it ordered at your local bookstore. Uh, and in terms of reaching me, probably my the best way is to go to my website. And then from there, they can access social media. Um, and my website is soulfulpower.com. And, and for your listeners or your viewers now, um, 
they if they sign up to be on my email list, they'll get a sample chapter from this book, some power practices. So like some of the ones I use in the book and in the coaching program, and then they'll get a guided meditation on trust, which is really timely and supportive, you know, in these days of chaos and uncertainty. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the the freebies and the gifts to our listeners. I hope that they take advantage of it because I know that, you know, the what I read was very helpful just in my own ongoing seeking development and uh, and growth. And uh, so thank you, Christian. I really appreciate all of your time today and um, you investing in us and our podcast and our listeners dropping nuggets like crazy, like manna from heaven. And uh, we, we appreciate that. And we uh, we wish you the best. Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. To our audience, if you'd like to be a guest on Two Guys on Stuff, drop us a line at info at edwardsgrouptx.com or go to the website www.edwardsgrouptx.com and fill out the contact form. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Two Guys on Stuff. Tune in next week as Tom and Michael talk more about leadership stuff, life stuff, helpful stuff, and maybe even your stuff. Until then, keep your stories fun.